welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. episode 138 of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is PC Leon McLeod and on the 3rd of June 2017 three terrorists drove a white van into pedestrians on London Bridge and they leapt out and started attacking bystanders. As this attack took place Leon was just starting a night shift and he happened to be walking through the area as the attack took place. He is one of the first officers on the scene giving chase to the attackers before administering first aid and getting people to safety and he was later awarded the Queen's Gallantry Medal for his actions that night. And shortly after these events, Leon's mental health started to deteriorate, and in this episode, Leon takes me through his recollections of the attack, and how it played out around him, and the impact that it all had on his mental state. We talk about the days and weeks that followed, and how he dealt with it all, and the impact that it had on his personal life and the people around him. And as I'm sure you can ascertain from that, this is a big episode. And we talk about a lot of challenging things. I cannot thank Leon enough for his time and his openness. He has an incredible recollection of that night and how it all played out. And it was really quite something to hear all about it. And something that jumped out to me really from hearing his story, and we talk about this towards the end of the episode, was the fact that what Leon experienced was obviously a a one-off, you know, a massive event that thankfully most of us will never experience. But when he was talking about how it affected him and how it played out in the days and weeks and months that followed, how it impacted his mental health, how it impacted his actions and how those actions affected the people around him, well, that was really relatable. I kind of heard a lot of my story in that and there was a lot of comparisons to other stories that I've heard when other people have told them and it really kind of reminded me of the importance of of relatability and sharing stories and the power that that brings. And I know I've said this loads of times on the podcast but we all break in different ways and for different reasons but it's the same stuff that spills out, the same thoughts and feelings and emotions and that can be really hard to deal with. And that's kind of the stuff that, that makes us human, I suppose. And that really comes out from, uh, from hearing Leon's story. He's a wonderful man. We've kind of known of each other for a little bit, actually. We've got some podcast-related friends in common. So it was great to kind of catch up with him and meet him properly. He's a, yeah, he's a lovely bloke and I cannot thank him enough for his time. There's a few other episodes of the podcast that I'd like to recommend if you've enjoyed this one. I kind of think of this as like a, I call him like a story story episode in that it's about kind of like one big thing that happened there's a start point and middle point and an ending as such and I've done a few others that kind of fit that vein as well so another one I'd like to recommend is with Gary Mansfield who's an incredible artist who actually spent seven years in prison after someone put 4.2 million pounds worth of heroin in the boot of his car and he was sentenced to 14 years for something that he didn't do and while he was in prison he discovered art and he's now a a very well-known and well-respected artist that's another incredible episode you could also check out an episode with a man that I'm very privileged enough to call my friend his name is Jay Wheeler and he's a graffiti artist under the name of Love Art Global and Jay was in the army And he went on multiple tours of uh, Bosnia and Iraq, places like that. And he ended up being medically discharged. And he had a really hard time with his mental health after that until he discovered spray painting. And now he travels all over spraying his love tag to balance out the hate that he saw in the world during his time in the army. And that's another sort of story-based episode that I highly recommend. And if you listen to those, if you listen to this episode and you like them, if you could do me a solid and leave me a review... 
it would be really appreciated. I know I ask every week. I'm sure you're bored of hearing me ask, but it really is important. It makes a huge difference. It only takes two minutes. And everything that you need to know about me, about the show, about everything is all in the episode notes. And this is episode 138 of the Proper Mental Podcast with PC Leon McLeod. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. I would find that slot really it's always a bit wanky when someone says like you know so explain to everyone who you are and when everyone oh. says it to me I always kind of give the worst representation of myself you know I would have done so many like podcasts and little interviews now that I've, I've just had all variations of things so you've had the like immediate drop-ins I've had the like sit there in silence and don't say anything and then we'll introduce you or introduce yourself and it's just I just I don't know, man. I just, I just have to get used to it all and just, uh, yeah, hopefully not say anything too stupid when I have to open my mouth. That's it, man. That's all we could hope for, right? That's all we could hope for. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll do a tiny little, um, just like a little introduction now. And we'll just dive straight into it, mate, and just, just see, see where we go. Fun, man. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. My guest this week is Leon McLeod. How are you, mate? Hello. Um, I'm all right. I'm a bit tired. It's been a, it's been a long week, but I'm, I'm well overall. Yeah. Oh, Can't mate. Complain. You mentioned before you're on like a, a training thing at the moment. I saw a very interesting bedroom setup on your Twitter. <laughs> has, that, has that been your digs you for the week? That nearly got me in trouble as well. Cause I, uh, well, I think the key word I put in there is it was hopefully my home for two weeks. But if I had said sort of, this is my home, that would have been uh, a bit of a fine. Cause um, basically obviously I'm a, I'm a police officer still, and I'm currently training to be like an evidence gatherer. It's a public order role. Where basically we have to go out when there's kind of disorder or or potentially protest, maybe not anything too serious, and just try and gather evidence of stuff that's going on and try and capture like the best evidence of the worst offences if stuff if stuff is happening. So yeah, I'm on a course for that, and it is it is honestly the toughest thing I've ever done. It is really? physically oh, it's brutal. Yeah, like it's it's tough, but there is that weird like I mean. I've got another week to go, but there is that, that kind of satisfaction. If I can get to the end of next week, I'm going to be really kind of buzzing about it because it is tough. Like, it is tough. Yeah, you'll be able to pat yourself on the back, <laughs> mate. And uh, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think I'll be able to get my arms high enough to pat myself <laughs> on the back. But, you know, honestly, Friday, when we finished on Friday, I could not walk upstairs. Wow. And as a, a 35-year-old man who kind of... I think I look after myself well enough. Not being able to walk up, walk upstairs is demoralising. <laughs> yeah, fair well, because you spend a lot of time in the gym, man, don't you? That's like a yeah. I find it massively. Uh, it's massively important for me and my my mental health. Basically, like um, I proper jumped into it about a year ago. Like I've I've always tried to keep fairly healthy and fairly fit, but yeah, about about a year or so ago, I just um, had a bit of a drop off and the gym was a massive pick me up and yeah I've, I've counted on it since really so yeah like I said I try, I try to stay in relatively good shape and, and train when we can and yeah <laughs> it's clearly not enough because this course is brutal oh mate and then to break up to break up two weeks of that why not just you know drop in with me and have like a really serious oh, conversation about your mental health just to really like, layer it on <laughs> listen once i finish this i'm going back to bed i'm gonna this is a proper i don't have to go back until we start again at 11 tomorrow 
So I'm just going to just honestly do nothing today. Um, try and have a big meal later. But yeah, today's going to be like a, a PlayStation sports, uh, you know, speak to my children <laughs> occasionally <laughs> day. But yeah, man, this is a proper, this is a proper do nothing day. So honestly, this is, this is cool. This is good timing. Oh, You'll mate, probably be the only human I actually interact with today. <laughs> Oh well, I appreciate that, man. I really, really appreciate it. Did you? No um, drama. Did you always want to be a policeman, man? How did that kind of come about? It's really odd. So, I, I, I think I must have had some weird desire to want to do it. So, um, like, I know there's, there's pictures of me. My mum pulled this picture up a few years ago of me, like all kitted up in the fancy dress, which I, I obviously remember cause it was when I was really young. Um, I know when I was growing up. Like I always kind of had a respect for policing. Like I didn't, I didn't kind of have any reason to to have this kind of anti-police mentality. So um, yeah, and then kind of when I was eighteen, I I did apply. I spoke about this and other stuff before. I applied to join the Met, and I didn't get past the paper sift. And honestly, I think looking back, like my application would have been terrible because I would have had no no real life experience to particularly draw upon, and and I, I wasn't kind of savvy enough to write things up the right way anyway so I kind of just went to done my A-levels and stuff and then yeah what did I do so I worked for my stepdad's plumbing company for a little while after that I went to a, a different company and I was working in central London and I was there for about five years and basically I just got to an age where I started thinking like what do I want to do as a career because I never genuinely and I know a lot of people say it, but I never felt like nine to five was for me it just didn't really didn't feel comfortable with it like yes it was nice always having your weekends and having that little bit of routine but I just yeah getting up on a Monday morning it it just that whole routine didn't really suit me so I started looking at like stuff I wanted to do and and like thinking kind of bigger picture and um and like I was at the time I was kind of settling down I don't know if it, yeah I would have been married by then as well so we, and we again we were looking at you know what where are we going to be living what do we do and I just I had friends that were police officers and this idea just kind of got planted and and yeah and kind of grew and then honestly like the amount of effort I put into the application I went to a workshop and I applied for both Kent Police and the British Transport Police and and just kind of yeah I just I put I gave it I just I when when that idea was there it was all I wanted to do from that point on so you know sort of late 20s I was like that is what I want to do and I, I genuinely still love it sort of nearly eight years later now oh mate yeah that's awesome uh, to find that to find that thing you can often tell isn't it how much you want something by how much you're willing to put into it there's loads yeah, of stuff absolutely. where I've been like oh, I really want to do that and then when I've looked at like the effort versus <laughs> talking about Not it really. yeah I've been like oh, I kind of said it and demonstrated I didn't mean it but you can tell can't yeah. you by how much you you put Honestly, in it's, it was kind of a, it was a hindsight thing as well because um it was only after I looked back and it was like yeah I I you know spent my own time probably even when I was at my old job like I, I would have got a bit of downtime and I would have been working on my application and and I like I say going to this workshop and speaking to people I know and I spent an evening around one of my friend's house and and he helped me go through it like it, it with hindsight like yeah I, I I did put a lot of work in and Oh God, thank God I got a job because I've been probably gutted and like, what do I do now if not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, man. That must be like, I always think with the certain jobs, particularly like the emergency services or I suppose anything with like a very well-known uniform, but mm. the first day 
you have to, no matter how much you want to be a policeman, no matter how much you're, you know, you're in the training, you do all these things, that first day where you're suited and booted, like taking a stroll down the road must be surreal, mate. Like a really oh, strange it, thing. It really is. So the way we do it as well is you kind of have this, um, I can't remember what it's called, it's called like real officer scenario training or something where we all kind of, you know, what about 10 cops kind of get paired up with someone who's got a bit of experience and know what they're doing. And you just go out um, to like Euston railway station and there are like stooges. There's all these little scenarios and you've got your radio and you, and you get sent to these little like just scenarios around the station. But obviously that's the first time you're proper in public in uniform and, and they're not going to know just looking at you that you, you kind of still don't have a clue what you're doing to some extent. <laughs> so um, like I found that massively helpful because it's just that, it's, it's really weird being in training school you get all this you get you know pumped full of all this legislation and law and knowledge but you don't like I was very aware thinking well, I, like I've picked this up quite well and I, I was doing all right in my exams but it's like you don't know that you're then going to walk out and be able to apply it when something happens in front of you like but it turns out thankfully yeah I've, I've been all right at that I won't you know I won't blow my own trumpet but I'm still doing the job and I've not been in trouble for uh doing it wrong so yeah <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it's like it must be hard because you're learning all this stuff in like a classroom mm. environment or whatever, and then to like yeah, yeah. To, have to pull it out in the moment when you might not always get much time to think about it and things like that. I suppose that's the challenge, isn't it? It's just it was just even little things like you can't reenact what the you know not if, not every job that I go to someone's going to be compliant and calm, and you can't properly reenact that scenario where someone's not going to be calm. Like yeah have the acting of like I'm not, I'm not doing this I'm not doing that but it's it's not the same it's not real you're not going to get hurt in that environment um and obviously and I remember like yeah say when I when I first went out kind of independently and could literally go off on my own it was very like how am I going to be when that happens because because the reality is like there are people that will go through training school will come out the other side and then it will then kind of go through things and realize it's not for them and there's nothing wrong with that like it's, there's nothing wrong with being able to go that, that's not for me actually but you don't know until you're kind of properly doing it in front line and, and you know the real stuff's happening yeah yeah very much so. i suppose it's the only way to do it is uh is deep end it really yeah yeah kind of like can't yeah. be walking around thinking i hope nothing happens today like, <laughs> it's just rubbish because you've got to go through so many months of like the educational side so then maybe you get to the end and go no nah, this ain't for me but like i say i, I genuinely I've seen, I've, I've seen people kind of come and go and, and it's, there's, I don't, there's no shame in that there's no shame at all it's just it's just one of those things really yeah and I suppose like it you know it is a, a very particular type of job but f- like it is for some people isn't it is a job and they do it for a bit yeah. and then they don't do it yeah. anymore and that's exactly. and that's that and you don't need exactly, to overthink yeah. it really yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah I mean we're gonna like we're going to probably talk a little bit about one specific event today, mate, but like before, I wonder what that could be, be, right? (laughs) Oh dear. But police officers see all sorts of stuff, right? So maybe not on that scale, but like Mm. at any given moment and before the, the London bridge attacks, had you, were you, were you pretty good at like, I don't know if pretty good is the right way to say it, but like separating work and, and seeing some, you know, challenging, gruesome things day to day or now and again or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so definitely. So before, before that anyway, um, like my partner at the time wasn't, well, like I say, she just had a normal job, which sounds a bit, a bit weird, but you know, um, she wasn't in the emergency services and like we, I'd never, it's, you know, it's not every day that I'd see something horrible or deal with someone, 
that was an arsehole. Um, but she didn't really like to, she didn't really like to know what I, I would do at work. And, and I was fine at that point, like not going back and really talking about stuff. Like it, it was just, it was just how it was. So I think like I almost had this mentality of like, not even intentional, but I'd, you know, I'd go to work. I'd have a bit of, at the time I was living down in Ashford and I was still working in London. So, you know, I'd have like a good hour or so commute and that would be my just kind of downtime to read or listen to podcasts or just do whatever. And then by the time I'm home, it was just like, right, I've got, you know, you've got different distractions at home anyway, like my little boy and, and just stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it was, I, I think, I think I've always been quite good at just, yeah, just whatever it is. Like I've never had anything obvious that's kind of caused me concern, but yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, I guess I had some weird way of doing it back then and it's probably not how I deal with things now, but yeah. Yeah. I always think like with the whole, like, you know, just talking about, about stuff, it's difficult, isn't it? Because yes, it is, it is useful, right? If you've had a day and something's happened, it it can be really, really useful. But if your day-to-day life involves these things, well, you can't be talking about it all the time, right? So exactly. you know, I yeah. have to, I have to navigate my own mental health, right? Every single day. So if I yeah. always talk about it when I didn't feel great, I'd almost mm. be obsessing to the point you know sometimes you just have to fucking step away from it right you can't yeah, keep man, talking about that. everything all the time right yeah sometimes you have got a it's weird though because then it's also you know especially like you say with mental health sometimes it feels like you know you've got to talk you've got to talk but like you say actually sometimes it's a bit like you know what this is how it is and i just need to kind of suck it up sounds bad but you've just got to kind of accept that that is how you're feeling and and, and kind of crack on and and yeah that is kind of it is pretty much like that with my job, I guess, to some extent. There's, there are, it's, it's the same with moaning. People in my job love to moan about stuff, but you can't moan about everything. You just got to get on with it as well at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's one of those jobs where you kind of know to some extent what you're signing up for, right? So it's not a shock as a, yeah. as a policeman to have to do certain things, right? It's uh, one of I those. Don't know. Some, some people still seem surprised when we have to go and do certain things. But uh, look, it's, it is funny. There's, there's people that will moan about everything, but they'll always come back in the next day. And uh, I always think you must you must be getting sang out of this or you wouldn't do it still. So, yeah. 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 I suppose there's a lot of things like that, like that in life, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Very much so. yeah. 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 Mate, so like, let's let's get into it, man. 3rd of June 2017. Yeah. Um, yep. Were you on shit whereabouts were you as that sort of started to um you know sort of play out yeah where, where were you coming into it mate i i literally i booked on duty at uh at nine o'clock um i was meant to be working a night shift anyway i was pretty much paired up i knew i was paired up with um my colleague wayne so it was just it was just honestly it was the most like normal normal night ever um just, I think they've been Champions League final. Or it was actually it was still playing when I got in, but that was in Cardiff. So, not massively expecting. Obviously, I was based at the time. I was based at London Bridge anyway, so I wasn't really you know expecting many people coming through there from the through from well in relation to the football. So it was just yeah, it was just kind of an ordinary a Saturday night. I started at nine, got kitted up. Um, I think I might have had something to eat and just kind of chilled out for a little while before kind of going for a stroll and. And it was kind of, yeah, that would have been not long before 10 o'clock. Like we went out and, uh, yeah, just walked into <laughs> the polar opposite of normal, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Did, how did, how were you brought into it, mate? Was it like people that were, had witnessed the initial thing or? So 
we we literally we left our yard and um it's on London Bridge Street, which is kind of facing if you well, left if, if you come out and turn left, you're going towards Borough Market basically. So we just come out of our yard and heard like I, I honestly couldn't tell you what the noise was. It was probably a mixture of maybe shouting, a crash, like I, but I don't remember. And it, but all I do remember is it wasn't anything that I thought was like massively out of the ordinary again for a Saturday night. So it wasn't anything I was like, oh shit, like this is what's going on. But we both, like myself and my colleague, we both stopped, looked down towards the end of the street. Couldn't really see anything that that kind of immediately got my attention. So I was literally going to kind of walk straight over and, and kind of almost head or, or sort of away from it towards the underground. We sort of took a step and my colleague stopped again. He's like, oh, I think there's a fight. So we just ran to the end of the road. And then um, I remember someone come up to us and was like, oh, like, said something on the lines of like they'd gone that way or and they, there was no mention of like a stabbing or anything like that so I'm still in the head just thinking I was going to fight and they run off and then um we crossed over the road and, and again there was kind of a lot of there must have been a bit more confusion and I really remember but then I had someone come up to me and was like oh someone's been stabbed so again as horrible as it sounds a lot of police officers and, and, and people do get stabbed and although it at the time, it wasn't kind of as right as it is currently. It wasn't something that immediately would have made me think this is a bigger a bigger issue than than kind of <laughs> not that stabbing's not bad, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So um, so yeah, and I kind of went over to this guy. Um, I was I couldn't have been with him for more than maybe 10, 15 seconds. I was just I was just kind of going through like the initial kind of conscious breathing had a stab wound I think in his back there was somebody else that was there that was kind of putting pressure on the wound so as, as bad as it sounds it, I wasn't it, I was quite calm I was quite calm everything felt all right and then suddenly um I heard this noise to my right and uh I kind of I think I heard it on my radio as well so I looked up and like my colleague was it looked like he was trying to break up a fight. It's how I could. It's what it looked like to me. Look, he was trying to break up this fight, and that they were kind of trying to almost have a go at him. So he was only about ten yards away from me. So I, I just got up, ran towards him, and as I got there, he had kind of he had his back to me. I just noticed he had his baton in his left hand. I was like, ah, oh, okay. So this guy had been on my um, my intake as well, and I knew him well enough that I knew he. He wasn't the kind of person that would, you know, just get kicked out willy-nilly. So, like, immediately done the same thing. It was then I kind of looked up and and there's, there's like, three guys with, with knives there. And even then, again, like, I remember I would have been shouting, like, drop the knife, blah, 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 whatever else. And um, it was like there was one at the front in particular that I, like, I'll always just remember that, that was just, what had my attention because it was I guess it's the nearest and a knife so that was why it just the nearest threat and um I remember they sort of stepped towards stepped towards myself and Wayne and we we moved back into the road and then they just they just run off and uh it was kind of at that point that my this tunnel vision on this one individual in particular my tunnel visual kind of opened up and there was like casualties and then there was one in particular that you know, I, I was like, okay, that's that, that's bad, that's serious. So, uh, yeah, kind of 
gave what well, tried to keep eyes on with them because we're trait like again as dark as it sounds like I knew I couldn't save these people so um tried to keep eyes on and updating on the radio and as I was doing that there were people approaching me then saying they're stabbing this person and it was just then it was like okay this is really random this is this appears to be like a, a marauding terror attack and I can't remember I, I know I didn't say that on the radio but I remember saying like I think this is really serious because you know I've been <clears throat> obviously passing messages for ambulances and, and more more units and it was at that point I was like no this isn't this isn't just a fight this isn't just a kind of a football squabble that's gone wrong or saying like this is this is it's too, it was just too random so so yeah that was kind of that was the the kind of my initial involvement anyway yeah yeah so then it's a case I suppose like radios are going off everywhere and everyone's like mm. scrambling to get to different places and you know just sort of chaos behind the scenes then yeah then, so I mean I can't really it's almost a bit hazy now because I haven't spoken about it as much like I'm, I know my statement was quite accurate but um like from that point on I basically you know I couldn't just I want you you want to try and help people where you can so I was kind of stopping with these casualties and, and just trying to, you know, assess how serious the wounds were, um, whilst also trying to update the control room. Because obviously initially I think I'd only called for one ambulance for this stab now. Then I'd said about that, you know, there's this serious, this serious injury casualties here. Um, I don't think I would have said fatalities or anything like that at that point. But um yeah, and like I say, I, I we kind of have that. As, of saving life is you know the first thing we've got to do if you can't do that then you need to try and at least keep eyes on that threat to try and prevent it escalating anymore so like I say as I was walking up walking down and, and trying to follow them basically it was just kind of like it, you're almost triaging it's, it's what ambulances do are clearly on a much better nature uh, level than I do but just kind of trying to triage and thankfully everyone who you know I kind of come across at that point it was just a, but there was a lot of members of the public around obviously trying to help and all you can do is put your hat you know thankfully from what I remember those people most of those people only had kind of single wounds and stuff like that and maybe slashes so it's like you just, you just got to keep pressure on it and I was trying to reassure I remember saying like there's there's more there is help coming there's more people coming because it was really you know being really honest it felt really lonely because I know my colleague had gone in that direction as well but I wasn't immediately with him so it it just felt like, yeah, not, not, I didn't feel lonely, but I felt alone. Like it was like, right, I'm the only person here. Um, so I remember like not long after that, there was a, a Met Police car that come past and I flagged them down and I just said like what, I'd, what I knew. I have no idea how much information they had at that point because there would have been all sorts of stuff coming out over the radio as well. Like I know I probably wasn't even really listening to mine at that point because I was just doing stuff. Um and then again, yeah, I remember treating somebody outside a pub who who seemed a little bit more seriously injured. And by that point, there was a couple more officers around as well. And um, and yeah, we just kind of I remember like again, it wouldn't have been long after that, that that firearms would have arrived and they've gone running past me. So I knew I knew roughly where these kind of suspects were anyway, but <laughs> it's so odd because like I wasn't sitting there thinking like what a dangerous situation it was or anything like that. It was really like autopilot. And I, I, I like I say, I, I'm not saying that as like trying to big myself up because it wasn't me thinking 
I should do this, I should do that. It was just like also pilot knowing I'm there at work, I'm in that uniform because I, I genuinely, I've said it before, like I don't think I would have reacted in the same way if I wasn't wearing that uniform that night. I don't know what I would have done, but I don't think I would have been running around trying to keep eyes on on people running around stabbing people. Like, and that's I'm not ashamed to admit that. Um, but yeah, like um, yeah, firearms have turned up. We we uh, at that point I'm, I was very aware that ambulances, when there is still attacks ongoing, like medical staff won't come into that 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 area because you know they could just be adding to the casualty list essentially. So, like myself and the people with it, it's like we, we need to try and like get this guy out and get him medical attention. And it was when we were taking him back up towards kind of where London Bridge is. That was when I saw my colleague and realised he'd actually been injured. And uh, basically, we got this guy out, and then I went back and had to treat him. <laughs> I'm not. It's really odd. I'm kind of summarising this as well because there's obviously shit tons that was going on. Excuse my language, but um, yeah, and that was kind of. That's kind of that again. That's a bit more of a bit more on the intro as well, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then does it get to a point, Leon, where um, obviously the 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 like people involved they've been taken out, right? And then does yeah. someone say to you, Leon, right? Now we need to get you out of this and talk it through. Or how do you, <laughs> you know what I mean? How do you go from how do you get out? Of no, it? I think it. I think I think um, kind of like I say, my, my colleague was injured. So obviously he was he was kind of taken out and I'd pass that information over the radio again. Um so we we'd carried him out towards back up towards London Bridge Station to try and get medical attention from there and he ended up going in um in like a police carrier and he got rushed off to hospital. Um and then yeah, I just kind of was like, right, what else? I think I'm I'm sure by that point I would have heard gunshots and I was I felt calm enough to know that they were, you know, police officers. There's police officers with firearms there, so I, I felt calm enough that the gunshots I'd heard would have been them. Um, so yeah, I kind of it was. I just it was. It's, I just thought right. I just need to go back in and, and try and, and try and help people again. So I just kind of went back down to where to where Borough Market is. Um, obviously, by that point now, we're talking about 10, 15 minutes later. From the start, like there were, it's, it's flooded with cops. Um, it's flooded with kind of initial, par- well, some paramedics were there. I remember there was one guy who I remember in particular who was just running around trying to help as many people and at least kind of prioritise who needed the most help so he could try and get help to them, you know, when he could. Um, uh, so I kind of ended up in this weird that was it I remember hearing one of my colleagues on the radio saying that she she had someone who was quite badly injured and needed um like a first aid kit so I'd seen a firearms car not long pull up and I just said I know they've got better kit than than I'd certainly carry um you know on myself so I just went up to drive her and and grabbed that and then ran ran down to her it wouldn't have been that far not far away um and ended up essentially in like this little serial of officers so it was like me her um another guy from our team and then just like three others basically that i'd kind of i recognized and knew of but didn't know very well and um it was around that time there was a sergeant there and he, he 
he just sort of said to me like obviously like where where where, where have you come from because again everyone had sort of flooded in from everywhere and I said oh well um yeah like I, I was literally first on scene because we, we kind of walked into it and I remember he was very like oh shit like are you all right I was like yeah um just just kind of need to carry on and uh he was like, all oh, right, has anyone, has anyone rang you or has anyone done anything with you? I was sort of like, no, not really. Like, I've obviously passed everything over the radio, but, you know, no. So he um, just pulled out his phone and was like, right, we're in the control room and got me to kind of pass an initial account to somebody there. I have no idea who I spoke to. I think it was just a call handler. But, yeah, just kind of explained to them like, who I was, what I'd, what I'd seen and what my involvement had been. And, um, and then, yeah, that was kind of it. Um, but then basically I stayed out. So like I say, it all happened around 10 o'clock. And I, it was about 2, 2 a.m. Because we were, we were kind of evacuating people. And obviously there were road closures. And to be honest, for, for the first hour or so afterwards, there was still a lot of talk that there was potentially an outstanding suspect. So um, I was just kind of, yeah, just trying to just muck in and help out and, and do stuff for the first kind of hour or so before I started to think, okay, it's probably not, but you, you know, got to be vigilant. So like I said, we were helping with evacuations and just stuff like that. And then about 2 a.m., um, <laughs> weird enough, I'd literally gone into this club to use a toilet and didn't have radio signal. And when I come out, my colleague was like, oh, they, they were just calling like your call sign on the channel. So I was like, all right. So I called up and they just like confirmed where I was. And I think that was where they had that kind of realisation, like you say, if they were like, oh, we need to kind of, we should probably pull this person out because they've been just just evidentially as well like I, I probably with hindsight and it's no criticism of anyone because like I say it would have been chaos but I, you know I know if I was in that situation now I'd probably know myself like I probably shouldn't be around other people and doing stuff just because it could potentially affect what I think I saw as well so yeah it's about two o'clock um we basically we all got picked up but I got put in a separate car with um I can't remember who just two people of rank I guess and it was kind of then that the, the magnitude of everything hit me because before then I hadn't really stopped to think I'd, I'd know I'd like I said, I'd text my wife and just said like, I'm, I'm all right even though I knew she'd be asleep because um my little boy was not even one then so uh she would have been knackered so uh yeah I just I just texted her and said like I'm all right um and then just kind of carried on I think I text my I text one person from my intake group because we were still quite fresh out of the box then and I knew that people knew I was, was working because we'd been having this discussion as well so yeah that was that was kind of I hadn't really been on my phone it was just yeah like I say the magnitude of it suddenly hits you because like I, I've always said I remember because we kind of come away from London Bridge and you, we went out of the outer cordon and there were just like people on the streets crying and there were so many flashing lights there and I was like oh fuck this is this is yeah this is quite a a big thing <laughs> um but yeah and then kind of from there went back to towards waterloo got debriefed um and yeah kind of had to give a first account and we ended up getting home at about nine o'clock the next morning like yeah it was a long night a long night yeah yeah oh man yeah. yeah that's um in the sort of I don't know, in the, I suppose the, the days and weeks directly after mm. that. Is it like, how did you play it? Because, you know, it it must be 
challenging or I suppose some people call it challenging to like go back straight back to work but then mm. is the alternative like just being at home after just having mate, been through it like how do you play that mate I, I honestly had that kind of um I had to kind of ask myself those questions of like what 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 is the best thing to do here because I my mentality and it's kind of what we touched on earlier about like how you deal with stuff my mentality has always been to just trying to anything that's kind of been against me, you just try and work through it and, and get back on that horse. If you fall off, just try and get back on a horse. And so um, I was meant to be in the next night anyway, and I was like, told, oh, just don't come in. And that was, <laughs> I was not going to argue with that. Um, I popped in, I, it's almost a bit weird now, but yeah, I went I went back to the office on, on Monday. And bear in mind, I worked at London Bridge, so it was right in that, that footprint, this massive crime scene. Um, but I, I didn't, you know, again, there was no, no pressure from work. Like if I had said, I'm, I'm going to take a week off, they would be like, yep. If like, I probably could have asked for all sorts and been, been supported with it. But um, <clears throat> I went in on Monday because basically I'd had to have loads of my, my uniform seized because it was just covered in blood and crap, basically. So I went in on Monday intentionally thinking like, I need to, I need to order uniform. I did kind of want to see, you know, colleagues just to kind of I don't know just I just wanted to see them because I feel I felt a bit bad I suppose that you know in those, whenever anything horrible happens in this country you know there's a massive kind of pressure on cops afterwards to we're normally put on longer hours and you know there's less turnaround of shifts so I, I just kind of wanted to support them as well so um it was nice to go in see people um and then I'm trying to think, I think the first, there was a couple of little things I had to go, well, went and done with the job. But then the first like shift I had back was like the Thursday afterwards. So like what, five, five days later. Um, and it was all right. Like I was really, so I've described it before. Like I feel like I, I had this blank sheet in my head and it was never an intentional thing, but I had this blank sheet in my head. And, and basically what I found is, the first time like, I went back to the area, I was like, oh, that's that's probably quite good that I've done that. Or, or actually, I'll tell you what, even rewinding, the first getting home that night and sleeping for like a couple of hours without having any like flashbacks, I was really worried that I might not, because, you know, it's quite a traumatic thing. So I was very aware of like how trauma can affect you despite not having any kind of first, first kind of firsthand experience of that at the time. So yeah just going home and sleeping for a little bit I was like right that's really that's good that's a tick on that little list writing that down ticket when I went back to the office on the Monday it's like right I've been back been back to the office like yeah can tick that off um can't think like I say that Thursday the first time I put a uniform back on you know turned my radio on and booked on it's like right that's a, that's a tick I've done that and it's it's all right and that was kind of almost my coping mechanism like I, I kind of I was drip fed stuff essentially. Like I remember on the Thursday, it was the first time I went back to like almost took that route out of the office again in uniform, had a colleague with me, didn't stay there long, but it was kind of, it was kind of cathartic to just go and, and look at it. Cause again, in, in my, in my head at the time, I remembered it as such a dark area. And like I say, it's obviously just from where, you know, that, that threat had my, my attention then, you know, <laughs> seriously injured people had my attention and I just remembered it as a really dark area. And then when I went back, it was like, it's, it's really well lit. Like, 
yeah, it's kind of surreal in that sense as well. But yeah, and that was basically my my kind of coping mechanism for, well, not even a coping mechanism, but it was definitely something that I didn't intend on doing. But I think with hindsight, definitely helped me just going through doing these little things. And it was even then, like I can't remember how long after it would have been. It might have been a week, it might have been a couple of weeks. But the first time I then had to deal with conflict again afterwards, because I was thinking, what if I'm faced with a situation and I just freeze because I, you know, go back. So the first time then that we had to deal with conflict and I was all right. I was like, okay, it's just another tick. It was just another tick. And I, I don't know how long I had that list going. Like it would have been, it would have been months. Like it really would have been. Um, and yeah, and like what we talked about at the start as well about whether or not, or how, you know, how I dealt with things and if I could leave it at the door. It was an odd one in that sense because every time I was at work, people would want to, and it wasn't even them being nosy, it would be them kind of going, like, are you all right? What happened? And so I would be talking about it like every day, every single day I was at work. Probably some days when I'm not at work, I'm talking about it as well, obviously, to, to my own friends. And, um, it become it genuinely became like I could reel really out without even thinking it was just bang this is what happened um because <laughs> it's what it's what was odd like obviously when we talk about it now if we had done this five years ago I could have told you because with you know I'm never going to be really gruesome with like what I saw and like, it's not about kind of that kind of oh, just horror porn thing this that's that's not what it's about so I, like at the time obviously I, I had that filtered version that I just go bang this is what this is what it was and now I don't really have that so it's it's harder to kind of recall it all because <laughs> you're trying to filter it as you go if you know what I mean so but yeah like I say I remember I still remember the first time when someone asked me what had happened and I then had to think about it and exactly like oh it's not it's not like there anymore it's not just there in my head ready to go it's something I have to think about now so but yeah that was that was kind of the the, the kind of the aftermath the initial aftermath yeah yeah telling a big story is tricky isn't it because you have to have that you have to have that version that's almost um almost neatly packaged with a little bow on it right and like the, yeah because you have to say it you know we don't have to but it it, it it's dictated that we have to like repeat it and talk through it and say it over exactly, and over again. Yeah. So yeah, it becomes yeah. become tricky. You have to separate yourself from it to some, mm. to some extent, I suppose. Yeah. Um, how did like, so moving forward into like the weeks and the months and after stuff, how did yeah. your, how, how did you start to realize that maybe this has had a bit more of an effect on your mental state than maybe at first you thought, thought it had, how did that play out? It would have been, again, it's kind of with hindsight, but like, it would have been pretty, pretty immediate. Like I remember the, the Sunday. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I, you know, when I woke up and I'd, I had so many messages, obviously from friends and, and just people who, who knew where I worked and will have known, well, some would have known that I was working. Some would have known that I'd been involved. Some wouldn't, but just so many people checking in. And I just felt really emotional. Like I didn't, it wasn't, it was it's a weird emotion because it wasn't like I was like oh it's really nice that people care it wasn't like I was annoyed that people were checking in it was just like I just I just would kind of get emotional and cry about it almost like and even now I don't really know what that was but um yeah I kind of had that I had that there was one time in particular I remember I said I was at work and like I've always been quite quite loud and jokey and outgoing and everything else and 
I was just sat in the office and I just made this comment, like, which was clearly, I can't remember what it was. And it was just a jokey thing. But I remember as I said it, I was just like, why, why have you, why are you trying to, like, why are you trying to be funny? Like, that's, you, you, I clearly wasn't feeling it. It's like, why are you trying to put this thing on? Like, why are you doing it? And it was just, yeah, like, there was a day when, uh, oh, this actually makes me a bit emotional, but I remember my skipper just saw me. Just, I was just on the stairs. I think I was coming up in the mess room and saying, he's like, are you all right? And I was just like, nah. Like, didn't know. What, it was like I said just now, like, didn't know what was wrong with me. Just, just had this kind of, it just felt like, yeah, just had this like cloud on me that just was, it wasn't always there, but it was just like, I guess always in the background, if nothing else. And just occasionally it would just be like on me and I'd feel just shit. And uh, like I didn't, I didn't really beat myself up about stuff because I was like, you've, you've been through a pretty crap thing. Like it's all right to, uh, you know, I was very aware that like, it's all right to feel a bit not not yourself. Um, and I think what it was is, you know, uh, over a bit of time, I started to kind of accept like, yeah, it's fine to feel a bit crap. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't really know what to do about it because there was nothing obviously like I, I would have spoken to counsellors and stuff at the time like the stuff that worked sorted out for me but there was nothing like obviously pinging up as a concern so I wasn't feeling like I, I wasn't immediately like drinking more um I know I, I was having really bad anxiety like I, I, I wasn't eating a lot but I didn't, even that I didn't really I didn't really realise was a massive issue because I didn't know it was anxiety I just thought I didn't feel great but I wasn't eating a lot. Um, I remember I wasn't sleeping well. Like I, I could sleep for eight hours and I would wake up and be like so tired still. Um, but I just, I don't know. Again, I still had that thing of like thinking like just, just carry on. It'll be all right. Um, and I just think there was, yeah, there was just something. I remember even at one point thinking like, oh, maybe this is just how I am now. Maybe this is how I'm going to feel. And um, you're just going to have to kind of, muddle through it but that was just that was that was one of the things that happened as well um but then yeah I eventually like my my wife because I, de I definitely started pushing her away a little bit it wasn't even an intentional thing but I think you know she knew she more than anybody she's like you're not yourself like something's wrong um and she was trying to push me to kind of ask for more help and stuff like that and I was like not what I need I don't I don't feel like I need you know I don't know it's, yeah I, I, I didn't I didn't really think it was what I needed at the time so I didn't do it um and that just made things worse and and yeah I think it would have been a couple of months afterwards a few months afterwards like I started working I, I moved police post so I could work closer to home and that was that was good like it was it was kind of a good break from from being in London but it didn't really solve anything outside of work at all um and yeah I just I started counselling and, and the count that it, it it was kind of that was very just getting it out counselling like she she it works for some people so I'm not going to knock it but it didn't work for me so like I, I I was always very open I had nothing to hide with her so I would just say everything I had to say 
and then I needed her to give me something back and and, and she never did that it was just kind of <laughs> she'd be like mm-hmm mm-hmm and it's funny because I've spoken about it again on, on other stuff I've done like um as police officers when we when we when we do interviews on suspects we're trained to not feel that pause and I could tell that she was trying to leave that pause thinking I was going to carry on saying stuff and so I've said everything I need to say here you, you need to say something and she wouldn't it's just like and I, I remember like I say by the last session I basically was just I was so disconnected from it I was like I'm just gonna sit here and, and see how long we can leave this pause and if you're gonna fill it because I'm not going to which isn't really what counseling is about I don't think basically just having a little mind game with your uh, your counsellor but uh yeah from from that I ended up having another counsellor and that would have been I think I don't know if that I think when when I went with her like I'd moved out of my marital home by then and I, I was staying at my my mum's um and to be fair, yeah, she was she was a lot better. She um, it was like I still remember the, one of the first things she said. The first session we had this kind of you know we'd had this conversation, and then she was like, um, "What do you what, what do you do for fun?" And I was like, oh, "I like to read, I like to play football, I like to go for a run now and again." She's like, "When was the last time you done that?" And I just had this sudden, I just hadn't been doing anything I enjoyed doing, and it was it was so bizarre something so simple and it made a difference when I then started doing it again but I just I, it was there was no awareness to the fact that I'd, I'd stopped doing all those things there was no awareness that I'd stopped doing things that made me happy like it, it, and that's that that's what I mean that's such a simple thing that she told me at that time made a, a huge difference because it was one of the first times I think I was like felt like oh I feel a bit like myself again, like, or I feel a bit like my old self. It was, yeah, that was, that was a, a pretty important thing really. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always think like small things like that, are, mm. we, we don't put enough onus on how important they are. And it makes, until someone points it out to you, it, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? When someone says like, yeah. well, if these things make you happy, why aren't you doing them? And I'm sure that the, you know that the awful statistic about men's mental health, right? You know, is it yeah. under like fifty? Is suicide's the biggest killer yeah. of men? And, but you, yeah. you look like even if even if people are just on an even keel through life as men, yeah. As you journey through life, the societal life as we live it takes us away from those things naturally, doesn't it? Yeah. We've got like yeah, kids to absolutely. think about and work to yeah. think about. We stop doing Different all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's that's it's, got it, to be a factor. It's just fun. Like I say, it was just especially given like I say I, I was still so my little boy would have been in nursery so I was still like going back most evenings I think and certainly I think my well she was still my wife at the time so she still had to go into the office so I'd still go back there and be you know spending time with him and doing stuff but it was just there was if anything at that point I, I had more time that I could have been doing stuff but I from what you know to help myself and make myself feel better but I just like I say it was just such a crazy thing to be like yeah why why are you not why can't you spend an hour reading why can't you go for a run why can't because there was there was no reason why I couldn't do any of those things and it and it was like I say I've always remembered it was such a simple and it was the way she said it like why don't you do that then I was like ah you've got a point there haven't you (laughs) like yeah I mean, going back the next week like yeah that was that's good advice (laughs) (laughs) yeah funny enough oh man Yeah. yeah That's, what yeah, else that, you got for me, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why therapy. That's one of the reasons people go to therapy for all different reasons, right? And that's yeah. 
one of those is just to uh, just to have these really obvious things pointed out to us. And yeah, uh, right. Yeah, that's that makes a big, big difference. Was that the start of you kind of getting back to yourself, mate? You know, the it was it was. Um, yeah, it was a start. It, I still so the way it was um, So work. We're kind of organizing it. And again, I can't really criticize them, but for some reason, I was only allowed to have like six sessions with, with it was always kind of short term. There's nothing really long term. So for over that that month or so, I definitely would have got. I can't, you know, I can't remember exactly, but I would have got back to some semblance of like feeling a bit a bit more like myself. Like I remember, so so I would have started probably therapy with that woman in in like February afterwards. So you talk about like eight months after the attack now. Um, and I know in like around December, that would probably been when I was at my worst in terms of that was when I was like drinking, uh, just, just, just not looking after myself, just really, really spiraling, like feeling at my lowest. Um, and like, again, I've said it before, but like in terms of like the suicidal thoughts that, that was probably around the time it was as, as bad as it got, I, I think between sort of September and December um but then yeah like i say that new year new me <laughs> i i'm joking that is i hate that please edit that out but um yeah it would have been around that sort of in that new year that that it started to pick up and it was a bit of a gradual thing and then like i knew it was working but um i knew i needed more so i had um like cbt that started and that was a, the first session i had of that was a year a year pretty much the day after the attack um and that was kind of for me that was the final like almost hurdle of when when I started that and going through that that was when I was like and and that wasn't limited to six sessions either I can't remember how how many I did have with her but yeah that that was that was when I was like yeah I think I was like right I, I can I can be myself again in fact actually I remember after again my first session with her and we spoke about um like the breakup of my marriage and one of the things she said from just listening to me talk and and I think it was something that I felt in myself but hadn't said she was like maybe it wasn't going to work out or from what she said you know literally from her point of view she was like it probably wasn't going to work out and just what happened made it happen sooner and it took the rose tint away for you know I can't explain why that would have happened but she was like that that was her opinion on it and it was I think at that stage I, I thought that myself but I just hadn't really kind of voiced it or actually believe it because I think sometimes as well when you feel like you're doing a bad thing you, you can make excuses up for yourself anyway so I think I kind of told myself you're making that excuse up for yourself and and didn't accept it and then hearing it from somebody else made me go like oh it's a bit of that kind of I can I can like kind of accept that and let it go a bit and it was such a weight off my shoulders so yeah that was that was a massive again that was a massive point for me then kind of going right I can get some semblance of me back yeah yeah that's a like that's a really interesting point leon actually and someone once described to me on another episode i think it was an author called um james withy who's a very very wonderful man and he said like mm. often with recovery it, it's almost like a double recovery so you're trying to mm. recover from the mental illness itself but then once you get to a better place then you have to recover from the sort of almost the 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 carnage of being mentally ill you know, like, so and, true. and everything yeah. that comes with that. There's two things yeah, that, to sort out, isn't that, there? That sounds so true. Yeah, like <laughs> almost the car crash you've left behind a little bit if uh, if you've ended up going that far. Yeah, that that is um, 
because again and that was something my therapist kind of tied in with because she was sort of going you've had the kind of you've suffered with the depression the trauma the attack kind of muddled through it and worked through it and then she was like now you, you've got the kind of the trauma of your your marriage breaking down basically that you need to accept and it was like it's like I say it was really odd because it felt like I probably a little bit had that in the back of my head but hearing somebody else say it who I guess you know I, I trusted on a professional level as well made me go okay because it's all right when even with my friends like if my friends had said it, I'd probably, you know, they're going to be looking out for you. They're going to be caring about you. They would have seen that I wasn't having a great time anyway. So, you know, there's probably times when they would have said what um, they thought I wanted to hear. So I think just hearing it from someone who ha- who has no kind of, no motive, no 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 kind of, yeah, <laughs> no boat in that race, it, it kind of just made me go, oh, okay. Um, and, and you know what, again, actually, I remember thinking, it made me think I'm not crazy. Like it was that thing of going, I'm not, I'm not actually just crazy. I'm not just being stupid. Like someone else is saying, yeah, okay, it's fine. So yeah, yeah, because you only know what you know, right? And that's so common, mm. isn't it? Is you know, and even mm. like we know the term mental health, and we know we can't like you know skirt even if you skirt around the outsides of because you must see like a you know you must have come across plenty of mentally ill people in your line of work, you know, like day to day, but you never like associate yeah. it with yourself. And then when you start having these these thoughts and feelings that are just sort mm. of out of out of whack, then it is easy to think, oh, I'm going, I'm going mad, like I'm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, or in my case, I'm going proper mental. That was a, the name of the yeah. show. It's a direct yeah. quote from something I said to my wife, you know. I did, I did, I get that. I did think, and like, like at one point, I almost thought I was having some sort of breakdown and stuff. It was just like, yeah, I, I went, I did go very, very chaotic and very just, yeah. And I think as well, one of the things that I kind of had to deal with, and I guess a lot of people do as well, is when, when you've kind of had these issues and then you've, caused a bit of a mess is I felt guilty for it like I've always said especially with hindsight now like I don't I don't regret so much that I'm not with my my wife anymore because I you know I think things I've accepted things happen for a reason and I've kind of accepted that probably was for the best but I really regret how it happened because for her that is that was a horrible thing to have to go through to see me the way I was anyway was hard for me to then be pushing her away and everything else like I, I, I even now like we've got we get we've got an okay relationship now thankfully and we've got a fantastic boy seven year old but like I feel I feel I'll always feel bad for like what I put her through because it wasn't nice and I, you know it, it's really difficult because I, I know I've said sorry and I know there's times when she <laughs> probably still wants to just hate me for it but you know we we have we've both moved on now but yeah I, like I well I don't regret the decision like how how I handled it was was obviously not not how I would um if I <laughs> was of the same mind and body and whatnot but yeah, yeah unfortunately, I, unfortunately I can't go back and do anything about it now yeah that's it man that's the tricky um that's the tricky thing and mental mm. mental ill health it does it seeps into the world around us doesn't it I put my um, yeah put my my wife through like through hell when I was in yeah. and I, I was probably for a long time I had no idea and I wasn't tell anyone and I look mm. back now and yeah. uh you know, yeah, I, I remember, I remember saying things and I'd be like, just about to say it. And there'd be another voice in the back of my head. would say, don't do it. Don't say it. Mm. Don't say that. <laughs> and then like, and then I'd just be like, ah, fuck it. And just, you know, and just say it, you know, it's like, you want the world to burn when you, when you, I was say that, you get very, struggling, I'm right? literally going to say it can become very like self-sabotage. And I, the one thing I kind of look back on that time is I'm really glad I didn't 
kind of fuck things up more. Like I could have, I could like, thank God I didn't go into work drunk or anything like that, or or kind of turn up and just when I, when I was pissed up and do anything because I, I I probably wasn't many steps away from doing something like that. Like I really wasn't in a good place and and that rational mind was not there. So as bad as well you know like I say there were times when I, I was suicidal when I wanted to kill myself like thank god I didn't because uh yeah like it's <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you know being in now and, and feeling how I feel and, and and again like you say like I'm not I'm, I'm so far away from being perfect with, with myself anyway and like my own mind but I'm so much more aware of stuff and I'm fine with who I am now. Like I really am. Like it's not perfect. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm hard. I'm hard work for any partner that's ever had me in, in since. But <laughs> what can I say? I'm worth it. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's called being human, man. It's called being a human oh, being, yeah. Leon. Like yeah. you know, none of us are, are perfect, and it's and it's always hard, isn't it? You know, it is always yeah. hard, mate. I want to kind of like I want to get to get to now, and I want to get to like yeah. Um, you know, to, how are you like day to day, man? You seem like you're in a really, really good place. Did that sort of curve through therapy and talking and finding oh, exercise? Did that just kind of like take you? Mate, I still, I still kind of muddle through things. Like I still, I still, I, it's really odd. So um, there's a girl I work with who has, um, she's not like a little boy and I hadn't, so she's, she's obviously not been around. And like when, when I first started on this public order team that I'm on, I've been there for about a year and a half now we're really close because she's had her mental health stuff and, and we've kind of discussed our own lives. Like, um, but yeah, so I haven't seen her since kind of, well, I have seen her, but we haven't proper caught up for, for so long. And then, um, yeah, we had this catch up the other day and she was just like, like, how are you? And I've had this weird realization that like, I haven't had a really sticky period for a while. And I can only really associate it because the only thing that's massively changed in my life is how much I've been gymming. And um, yeah, like I, I got, like, when I talk about getting things wrong, like I got it wrong during COVID. COVID, I had a real, a real downturn that I didn't, I just, I didn't even realise what's happening. Like I, again, <laughs> there was a night when I'd been shopping, I just bought a bottle of wine. And I was living on my own at the time as well. I just bought this bottle of wine, didn't really think that. And I, I honestly, I, I must have drunk it in about an hour. And uh, yeah, it was like a couple of days later, I was just like, something, this, this something's not right. Like, this, this, that's not good. Kind of had that little bit of a, a bit of a thinking process and managed to steady the ship. And I think I probably spoke to, I would have spoken to people as well and, Oh God, yeah, I would have had a little bit of therapy. I've not had anything. There's nothing I've really, I've kind of dipped in and out of it for the last three years, but there's nothing, nothing constant. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, the last probably 16 months I've been, I've been all right. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm so aware. I'm just really aware of like my own head though. I think that's kind of, I feel like I've got this cheap because I've been through a really shit time. So I'm, so aware of like triggers I'm really aware of like even going back to like the last anniversary like I'm I'm so aware that that's going to make me feel not great um I'm aware that like my marriage anniversary I might feel a bit like ugh. thankfully I, I think I was working this year anyway or last year but yeah like I'm just I'm aware of kind of I've got those things as well and I know it's not about ignoring when you feel crap but you you know 
rather than seeing omen and moping like I need to try and distract myself and and just do things and and I think if I've just got those ways of working through stuff now and I'm then aware of if that's not working where I can go and and kind of who I can speak to and and yeah like thankfully I I haven't kind of gone (laughs) too far wrong recently yeah that awareness is is key isn't it to kind of spot Mm -hmm. spot any downturns before they you know, spot the little things before yeah. they turn into big things and just having something in your locker that can you go, oh, okay, yeah. this, ain't, this ain't good and I need to do something about this. That's the, the biggest thing, isn't it? Honestly, man, I just think it's hindsight. Like I remember, and like we were talking about Chris and Stu earlier, and I remember the first time I'd done, I'd done their podcast and, and I hadn't really spoken to, to either of them about their own kind of backgrounds around mental health stuff. But I remember like Chris then said, to, like, just said it's like it's hindsight and it, it's fucking it's so true, man. Like, it's I've, I've got that hindsight now um and it's why I, I kind of always try to look out for like my mates that bit more because I can probably spot stuff before they do as well and same like and colleagues as well when you're having those conversations like I've, I've got that I've got that hindsight and and I know you again you can't focus on anyone you can't share it but it's just at least I can be a bit more like keep an eye on you sort of thing like because because I just I just know it I've lived it <laughs> I still do yeah there's a sixth sense isn't there you can often spot i think spot when people are having a having a bad day or have got something going Mm. on and yeah absolutely yeah and like you say that was a really good point actually you know all you have to do is be a bit more aware of it you don't have to do anything about it or approach them about it but just kind of be more compassionate to their to their situation the the thing is it's like i said as well like i I know from from when my my missus was actually trying to say like you need help you need help and i'm sure you Ness as well and like until that person wants to get help or wants to sort of wants to do whatever you you know you, you can tell them every single day but until they want to do it they're, they're not going to and it's 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 just yeah I feel, <laughs> again hindsight my my mum um it, well, is a recovering alcoholic she was a, like a, an alcoholic all, all my childhood and uh the amount of times I would be you know as I got to being a, a young adult I'd be trying to say like you've got to stop doing that you've got to stop doing that and she wouldn't and it took until I mean she's been clean for years now she's doing amazing but that was because and I remember having this conversation with her probably only a few years ago and I said to her like what what was the what was the turning point she was like I wanted to do it and it's like that's fucking so true man like until and it's the same with that like and and it's the same with mental health and I think it's like almost because you know alcoholism is an illness I think there's similarities and the same with the 12 step stuff like there's similarities between that you know any kind of addiction and mental health it's all kind of tied in together and yeah her saying like I wanted to do it it was like oh I get that (laughs) because I've had my version of yeah everyone can tell me this and the other but I until I wanted to do it until I knew I need to speak to a therapist I need to do that this you can't do it and and yeah that's what I mean about speaking to other people like you're never you're never going to force someone to to kind of go into therapy or, or, or talk to somebody professionally because they have to want to do it themselves and it, actually I, I had a colleague yeah I had a colleague that was thankfully all right still still talk to him now but he was exactly that person where um he was he was kind of being people were trying to force him to to do to do it and he didn't want to because he didn't think he needed to and it was such a weird thing because I, I knew he did as well and 
trying to be that middle man and going like, oh yeah, like they shouldn't be pushing you, but kind of going like, but you, you do need to. It's, it's a really, it's a really kind of tricky path to walk down with somebody, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can do is kind of be there yeah that's it man it's like it's hard when we're so resilient right so i always Mm. kind of think that it's amazing how much shit we can endure rather Mm. than ask ask for help but if it's never enough shit to kind of get you right towards the you know to hit that rock bottom you can just kind of stay just above rock bottom for years man and just ride it out and uh yeah yeah, absolutely. I was the king of not getting help. Me, I'd sit, <laughs> I'd, I'd sit in therapy sessions and come out and and I'd like I'd celebrate blagging it. You know, like I'd come out and be like, yeah, I won. That, that was my mate. That I'll just talk about like, honesty, and I knew it. And he, and he, well, he was honest. Again, I had a good relationship with him. That he was honest enough with me about that stuff as well. And I, yeah, man, I, I <laughs> well, that was me at the end of my uh, my initial counselor. I was just like, this is fucking stupid. What are we doing here? Come on. <laughs> yeah, if, if the, if I get the, it, man. The time's not right, or it's not the right person to kind of sort of crack that nut, so to speak. But uh, yeah, mate, yeah, it's um, I'm conscious of your time today, dude. But um, yeah, (laughs) I uh, I've got to go back to bed, remember? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I feel like I've kind of put put you through it, but no, I really, really appreciate you, um, you know, guiding me through all that, mate. And I think, like, something I always. I always um I always say that like with like mental health and mental illness it everyone like we all break in different ways mm. but the stuff that spills out is the same you know and I think like what like obviously like your experience is kind of you know not many people ever are going to have that experience but everything mm. you talked about afterwards I you know I'm nodding along the similarities with my right. story with other people's stories it's that's, underneath that's, we're all the same right that is absolutely one thing that I, I had to say when when um when I said about like I was talking to people or people you know every day someone would say uh you know what happened basically and then honestly and I guess this was probably part of my recovery as well 90% of those conversations they would say oh it's nothing like what you've been through but I've got this and it would be, and it would be, like you say, it could be completely different. It might not be job related. It would be whatever. And then I suddenly had that thing of like, oh, fucking man, it, like basically everyone's fucked up. Like, honestly, it was, it, it, and it was, it was quite cathartic anyway than talking to other people about their stuff. That's like, yeah. It, and that's, that's what I mean, man. It's, it's so, so true that you can, that it doesn't matter about the magnitude of it. It doesn't matter if it's been in the news or if it's, your, you know, your goals just died. If, if you, if you have that traumatic thing and it affects you then it, it is a traumatic thing it doesn't matter what it is yeah beautifully put man there's no hierarchy right there's no um exactly no relevance if you need help absolutely help. right yeah yeah oh mate well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting today it's been lovely to meet you. i've heard mate. you on um you know we've got a few mates in common right so i've heard you on do, listings a, cu- a couple of oh, times God. so um it was nice to, nice to <laughs> that's not you. my most serious place that one yeah <laughs> same yeah they all oh, they man, a- they're good lads they're good, aren't they? I'm very reluctant to say anything nice about them on record because I don't want them to hear it. So, like for the for the you know, just in just in case either of them are well, Chris don't listen to podcasts anyway, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, if Stu's listening, well yeah. Stu probably well, the, will listen to me. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. then there are there are a couple of twats and uh yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but there yeah. you go. I'm surprised Stu oh. hasn't tried to muscle in on this. He loves a podcast, doesn't he? I'm surprised he hasn't tried <laughs> yes. to take this off you. Yeah, he's probably in the waiting room now, just like yeah. sniff, sniffing about. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> exactly. He's in oh, here and all that, ain't <laughs> it's uh it's been a pleasure man it's lovely to meet you and thank you so much for coming out thank you for having me honestly
to big up to the proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>